The Sheep and the Goats, Part 2. How can it be said that nations inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world? The word inherit strictly means to receive by lot. Then, in a more general sense, to possess oneself of, to receive as one's own, or to obtain. What will the nations obtain? The right to reside in their own countries as subject to the king of kings and to the saints. They will inherit the constitution and peace that the kingdom age will offer, but they will do so as servile nations. As for disobedient nations, the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted, as in Isaiah chapter 60. Our Lord contrasts two preparations. There is the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world for the obedient nations, and there is the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The preparation has been going on for some time, particularly the former, which has been in preparation from the foundation of the world. Brother Thomas writes, In the acorn, it is said, can be traced by aid of the microscope the branches of the future oak. So in the rudiments of the world are traceable the things of the future kingdom of God. These rudiments or elements are exhibited in the sentences upon the serpent, the woman and man, and in that institution styled the way of the tree of life. Out of these things was afterwards to arise the kingdom of God, so that in constituting them a foundation was laid upon which the world to come should be built, even that world of which Abraham was constituted the heir, and which, when finished at the end of six days of a thousand years each, will manifest the woman's seed triumphant over the serpent power, resting from his work in the sabbatism which remains for the people of God. At the time when the foundation of the world to come was laid, the concept of dominion, and by extension a kingdom, was outlined in Psalm 8, verses 4 to 9. The dominion was lost by Adam, but the pledge of rulership was kept alive in the promise relating to the Son of Man. The nations were categorised in that psalm as all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. They will be permitted to exist in the Son of Man's kingdom as national subjects until the final rebellion occurs. Their existence will be subject to his gracious invitation. The king's judgment is given based on the actions and behaviour of each nation towards one of the least of these my brethren. So who would these brethren be? The Lord defined his brethren as those who did the will of his Father in heaven. These brethren must therefore constitute a group of people who are now obedient to the word of God, subsequent to the proclamation of the everlasting gospel to them. Isaiah 43 describes the command issued to the nations. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. The Jews in captivity will respond to the call to return and come back to the land in obedience of that edict. That is why they will be called God's sons and daughters. That is why the Lord can call them my brethren. Some are hungry, thirsty and in desperate need. Others are bereft of basic necessities, yet others have been imprisoned. 
As mentioned earlier, this picture accurately describes the Jewish people making their way to the wilderness of the peoples in Europe and suffering great hardship to get there. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 48, the curses of Israel's captivity are described. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. When they arrive in Europe as refugees, those conditions will still prevail. In Jeremiah 31 verse 34, the least of them are mentioned alongside the greatest of them. The sheep nations are prepared to assist even one of the least of these, my brethren, a phrase that suggests the lowest of the least. Every individual is considered important by the sheep nations. They will show compassion on those who are unable to help themselves. Interestingly, one of the least may be based on language drawn from Isaiah 27 verse 12, where we learn that when God gathers his people, he will do so one by one. Each individual who returns in faith will be cared for. It is significant that anti-Semitism is on the rise across the world, and this will be an enormous challenge felt by all nations as they weigh up whether to help these Jews or not. Everything about the goats and their dismissal from the king's presence is in absolute contrast to the previous verses referring to the sheep. They are cursed and commanded to depart. Whereas the kingdom has been prepared for the righteous, fire and destruction have been prepared for the disobedient. There will be no escape for those who despise the ways of God. The everlasting fire spoken of in verse 41 is literally age-abiding fire. The everlasting punishment spoken of in verse 46 is literally age-abiding punishment. The age will be the period leading up to the millennium. This is in contrast to the life eternal, mentioned in the same verse, a phrase which literally means age-abiding life, and that age will be the millennium itself. While the saints will enjoy age-abiding life and beyond to the fullest, the nations which will be permitted to partake of the fruits of the king's righteous reign will remain as subservient mortals. They will walk within the radiance of Zion's light and bring their glory and honour with them to place them before the feet of the king of the whole world. Indeed, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. The goat nations will refuse to offer any assistance to the returning Jews. In fact, they will resist their return and initiate the war against Christ, thereby revealing their true colours. Collectively, they are styled the Diabolos and his messengers, a title which suggests an individual false accuser holding sway over many nations. That traducer, slanderer, will be none other than the false shepherd of Zechariah 11, the man of sin, the false prophet, that wicked one whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The punishment of the Diabolos and his adherents is described more fully in Revelation 14 verses 10 and 11. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Those who make war against the Lamb will either be cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, or slain with the sword. If we turn our attention to the individual and personal application of our Lord's words, the lessons are powerful. The King of Glory, taking his rightful place on David's throne, must first come to the household and divide the faithful 
from the unfaithful. As Matthew 16 verse 27 states, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. The same power and glory bursting forth upon the world will first burst forth upon the assembly of the saints as they are summoned before him to give account. It will be a time of separation when the wicked will be severed from among the just. Sheep and goats have different characteristics. They have entirely different foraging behaviour and diet selection. Goats are natural browsers, preferring to eat leaves, twigs, vines and shrubs. They are very agile and will stand on their hind legs to reach vegetation. Goats like to eat the tops of plants. Sheep, on the other hand, are grazers, preferring to eat short, tender grasses and clover. Sheep also have a strong instinct to follow. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, the others will follow it. They'll do this whether or not it's a good decision or bad decision. If an individual sheep is ever separated from the flock, it will become agitated. It won't feel safe when it is on its own. Once separated, a sheep will try to run back to the flock if given the chance. Goats, however, are naturally more independent and individualistic. Due to their more aggressive behaviour, goats will usually dominate sheep, especially if the goats have horns and the sheep are polled. In biblical times, flocks contained both animals, and the shepherd could easily tell them apart. So it will be in the Day of Judgment. Before the Lord's powerful gaze, the righteous and the wicked will be as distinctive as sheep and goats. In Isaiah 58 verse 7, the prophet describes the significance of true fasting. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? This compassion transcends the formalistic rituals of Jewish religions. It is care and concern born out of love, and this is the motive and action Jesus is seeking from us all. We need to be careful in our application of this prophecy. The Lord was not saying that care for the poor and needy brethren are the sole essentials for acceptance in the Day of Judgment. There are many other criteria that the King will be looking for. Pure motives, fruitfulness in Christ, the presence of a spiritual mind, holiness, watchfulness and faithfulness, as previously commended in the previous parables, and so on. Clearly, there is a wider picture which we need to take into account. The focus of our Lord's words revolves around ministering to our brothers and sisters, regardless of their social or economic background. The word minister was chosen by Christ in verse 44. The Greek word diakoneo means to be a servant, to wait upon. But it is a word, along with its companion words, that is used of serving the ecclesia in a spiritual capacity. It is used twice, for example, in Hebrews 6 verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the work of caring and feeding has a higher claim than just physical help. This isn't to demean the practical work of tending to each other. As the Apostle John pointed out, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But spiritual nurturing does add another lofty dimension. This higher service was alluded to earlier in the Olivet Prophecy when Jesus spoke about the appointed members of the household who were to serve as attendants to heal and distribute meat in due season. 
This work includes the provision of spiritual food and comfort for the whole household. To serve our brothers and sisters is to minister to Christ himself. What a privilege that is. He is the head, and to nourish and minister to the body is to promote the dominance of the head in our lives. And it works the other way too. As 1 Corinthians 8 says, But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. The astonishment of the righteous is a testimony to their unassuming disposition. They don't keep score. Their left hand is unaware of what their right hand is doing. They were unconsciously zealous of good works, ministering to their brethren simply because they were brethren, a part of the family called by their Lord. Their surprise reveals modesty and humility. They stand in wonder at the full implication of what their labours for others really means. God has reserved the wicked for the day of wrath and destruction. Using the imagery of the perpetual fires raging in the valley of Hinnom, Jesus spoke about the complete destruction of the faithless. He uses a similar figure here in Matthew 25, everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. The word translated punishment is colasis, which means a pruning, checking, chastising, correcting, punishing. This picture is consistent with the thoughts of Psalm 37, where the wicked will be cut off and be no more. It is the same word that occurs in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, where we learn that the disobedient will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The word everlasting is used as the result, not the process. Hence, eternal judgment in Hebrews 6 verse 2 and eternal redemption in Hebrews 9 verse 12 do not mean that judgment and redemption will continue throughout eternity, but rather their results are eternal. Hence, the contempt and finality of their death is everlasting. But the Lord doesn't finish on a negative note. He concludes his words by witnessing the righteous entering into life eternal. What a glorious day that will be, when God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things will have passed away, and our Lord will begin to make all things new. Music